0: Hey, welcome to Everyday Economics, the podcast that helps you learn about the economic world happening around you every day. I'm your host, Chris Krug, president of the 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan Franklin News Foundation. Everyday Economics is a production of America's Talking Network. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. To support Everyday Economics, please make your tax-deductible charitable contribution by clicking the link in the show description. We are recording this episode on Monday, December 11th, 2023 and joining me as always my partner my dear friend and the winner of the inaugural America's Talking Network Benjamin Franklin Award for outstanding contributions Dr. Orfe Divungi PhD economist Dr. O We got a lot of things to cover today I had a terrific weekend you know here in suburban Chicago and intermittently I got text messages from you that made my weekend even better cuz you were enlightening me I love the stuff that you send my way to read, and I'm going to oh, just I'm going to put I'm gonna, because it's like you're my sherpa in all things <laughs> uh, economics. Um, there were a couple uh, of headlines. But, there are a couple of headlines that I, that I really thought were very interesting from the from the stuff that you'd sent my way, and the foremost among them was a story that uh, I believe it was like so you, you crafted together uh, at LinkedIn with other research about the market underestimating. The Fed's, and I'm talking about the Federal Reserve, just to be clear for all, all listeners, the Federal Reserve's commitment to 2% inflation. So could you expound upon that? I mean, th- this is an understanding in my view. I mean, that the Federal Reserve is always aiming for 2% inflation. We haven't had 2% inflation since, I'm not sure what year it would be at this point,
1: several. Well, that, that's, it's funny you say that. We ha- we haven't had 2% inflation forever. The Fed was undershooting for a long time, and couldn't get to two percent. And then the pandemic happens, and then we overshoot; we go way above two percent. And now we're trying to get to two percent from from above. So, no, but that's uh, yeah, you know, glad to be back, of course, on the Everyday Economics podcast on a Monday morning. And yeah, I saw this article. It wasn't my article. It was an article uh, by Apollo's chief economist. Uh, he's got this blog called The Daily Spark. And he says, look, the market is underestimating the Fed's commitment to 2% inflation. And I thought it was interesting because I think he might actually be right. Look, you got a market. You got you got yields falling uh, in November, dropping like crazy because people are actually expecting the Fed to cut in the first half of 2024, as as if this is fate complete, that this is absolutely going to happen, right? Exactly, as if inflation is already down around the two percent target and maybe even going below two percent, right now. Of course, there's some good news to support the argument that potentially inflation will return to two percent and potentially. Inflation will fall below 2% and that the Fed maybe should even be correcting ahead of that event because, you know, once that's in the works, in the pipeline and there's momentum, uh, it will be hard for the Fed to stop the plane. I heard some people, some economists that I actually admire and love saying, hey, we've already achieved the self-landing and the plane is going too fast and might run out of runway. And the Fed needs to hit the brakes. And and I get that. I get that. I get that a good Fed is one that basically weighs all of the risks and maybe prepares the plane for a landing and gets it slightly ahead, slightly ahead of the 2% target because there's that momentum. The plane could fall out of the air. We don't want that. So, yeah, you know, these economists are very smart in saying that but maybe the maybe the market's just kind of like overdone this a little bit right and the reason i say the market could have overdone this a little bit is look inflation's still kind of high and even if you look at inflation expectations inflation expectations were at around 4.5% last month according to the university of michigan surveys of consumer and then it's fallen down to about 3.1%. And so even there, it's still kind of high, right? Uh, you look at, you know, the w- w- I think it was the PCE last month, still running slightly above. The core PCE like running slightly above. Maybe some people might even say well above. Well above the 2% target, right? Even on a monthly basis, annualized. You're still above the 2% target. So we have a ways to go before we're going to see that 2% target. Now, of course, the people that are making those arguments, I, I said at the beginning, you know, they have some support, right? The support is, look, there's a ton of rent disinflation already in the pipeline. We know market rent growth has flowed as normalized. Uh, I've written about this. Can I pause you there and just ask this question?
0: So let, let's let say that I signed a one-year lease last June or this this June, June of 2023. My lease comes up June of 2024. What do you think my lease is going to look like? If, let's say my, and just to keep it simple, let's just say that my rent was $1,500 in 2023. What does my
1: rent look like in 2024, your opinion? Exactly. Well, it depends on which market you're in, right? In some markets, in some markets, your rent's going to be at 1500 bucks. your rent's going to go up by maybe 40 bucks, more than 40, 40 50 bucks, around 3%. Right. And so in some markets, that's kind of the normal. Right. And that's what usually we see. Usually we saw before the pandemic in other markets, you're getting massive concessions for you to stay in some markets. There's been so much building multifamily apartment building, single family landlords coming in because they believed most people were not going to be able to. Go out in the housing in the for sale market, you got a big increase in supply, in rental supply. And in some markets, you get concessions. In fact, we've written at Zillow about some of these concessions. In some markets, you get free parking, you get an extra free month rent. And so rent growth has slowed. And now the bargaining power is going to shift it towards the renter in an environment where you still have a lot of rentals coming online, a lot of units that are being built. And so we're seeing that's already in the pipeline. It's just not showing up in the CPI numbers yet, but it will, right? Yeah, right, right. But you're
0: forecasting. So let me ask you this: because one of the other articles that you had sent my way, and uh, you know the the one that we just talked about was sort of like the inflation expectation to fall to 3.1 percent, lowest in the in the last two years. But the last of the three that you sent me that I want to talk about right here would be the Federal Open Market Committee and the preview and their logic of Fed rate cuts in the year to come. So we're not hopscotching too terribly much, but we're sort of trying to, In the, with this particular podcast, we're trying to look forward as much as we possibly can, right? We're in that window of predictions. So what do you make of that story, first of all, if you want to just like do a quick summary and then what's your
1: take? And then we'll put a close to it. Go ahead, have at it. Yeah, I love this article, I got to say. I love this article because uh, it supports the view that there's what the Fed should do and what the Fed is likely to do. And I've written about this as well. The Fed should definitely cut if inflation continues to to go down. The Fed should definitely cut if inflation expectations continue to fall uh, because the Fed should be forward-looking. The Fed should not be looking in the rearview mirror. And it has, unfortunately, by being what they called data dependent, it has waited and waited for new data to come in and for the market to kind of lead the way instead of leading the market. It's not for the market to lead the Fed. It's for the Fed to get ahead out there and say, hey, we need inflation to come down and this is what we're going to do to accomplish inflation at 2%. why inflation expectations matter so much? Inflation expectations matter because look, if you think prices are going to fall tomorrow or next month, what do you do? You wait wait and see. You wait, you don't spend. You wait until prices fall to go out and spend, right? And so in some way, the fact that inflation expectations are coming down is disinflationary because people are going to spend less. They're going to wait around, for prices to come down in order to go out and spend. And so it, it becomes kind of the self-fulfilling thing, right? And so inflation expectations falling is a very positive thing. If you're trying to get inflation down, if you're trying to get economic activity cool, but it, it means that it's already happening and that you get to get ahead of it, right? And so, yes, in the fact that rent disinflation is already very, very much in the pipeline. The fact that the labor market is cooling and that. Uh, you have, you know, uh, employment growth normalized. Employment growth is normalized. Before the pandemic, we were adding about 190,000 jobs a month. We're down to 199,000 jobs a month. We're almost there, right? There's maybe the only thing holding the Fed back, or that should be holding the Fed back right now, is yes, it, yes, I said inflation expectations are still a tad bit high at 3.1%. They got to come down a little bit more. But also the wage growth number that we got last last week was still a tad, a tad bit high right we had wage growth uh, on a month over month basis 0.4% that number needs to fall in order for us to get back to where we were before the pandemic. but then again you know even arguing about those the wage growth number, we've seen that there was no such thing at least this cycle as a wage price spiral. the wage increases, haven't really fed into price growth that much. We've seen price growth slowing, even as wage growth was increasing. And so, you know, the Fed really should be looking forward and managing all the risks. And one of the things I really loved about that oracle is that it also alluded to fiscal policy and it alluded to the fact that the Trump tax cuts, the corporate tax scores were about to expire. And if the Trump tax cuts expire, well, guess what? That is definitely... A very much disinflationary event, right? And, you know, corporations are going to have to make some moves, you know, and of course, who, who owns these corporations? Shareholders, shareholders are going to take a hit. And if shareholders take a hit, they'll spend less. And if they spend less, the economy will slow even more. And so, of course, though this is the Trump tax cuts expiring this year is a very disinflationary event. And so. You know, it's in Congress best interest, of course, not to let them expire, but the Fed has to take that into account. And so if you add all of that together and you got a lot of disinflation already in the pipeline, then you, you should see a Fed cutting sometime in 2024, which is kind of what the experts are seeing and are, are forecasting whether the Fed's actually going to do it or not is another story, because like I said, this Fed has been data dependent. It's looked in the rear view mirror for guidance. It's waited and waited before acting. It's partly why we got into the mess we got into. We're waiting for inflation to reach some 6%, I think, we were at before it started talking about raising interest rates. And so that's it for me. Uh, I think that sums it up. We need a Fed that's forward looking. We need a Fed that's ready and willing to manage risks. And that's not just focused on the rear view mirror. All right. Appreciate it, Dr. O. For
0: Divungi, this has been Chris Krug. Subscribe to Everyday Economics and dozens of other quality podcasts at
2: americastalking.com. Are you tired of news that puts politics over people? At the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation, we believe in putting people over politics by delivering nonpartisan news and audio content that serves you, the American taxpayer. With Franklin News Foundation, you can read fact-based, state-focused news for free at thecentersquare.com. You can listen to civil, balanced conversations between policy experts through our podcast network at americastalking.com. Or you can get in-depth news on K-12 education spending, curriculum, and school safety at chalkboardnews.com. It's all free through Franklin, where we put you, the American taxpayer, first in every story, episode, and conversation. And it's only possible through our supporters. Together, we can produce content that puts people over politics and brings Americans the news they deserve. Become a supporter today at franklinnews.org donate. Once again, that's franklinnews.org slash donate.